0: but believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, as we come to the gospel today, we hear this idea of doubt, and I think we all deal with doubt, right? We doubt that the Nigerian prince who needs, to, uh, needs us to lend them a couple thousand dollars and we'll pay that back in interest, don't worry about it, we, we tend to doubt him, and, and don't do that, please. We doubt ourselves. We, we doubt our uh, abilities. We doubt our capacity to do something. We doubt other people, people who maybe have hurt us or, or lied to us or, or let us down time and time again. We doubt good news because sometimes it seems just too good to be true. We doubt bad news because it may be so tragic we pray it isn't true. We all struggle with, with doubt, but Thomas doubted the, our Lord. Out of all the disciples, I feel like Thomas is the one that gets the most uh, sideways glances. Like, like really? If I was there, I wouldn't have doubted. If I was there, I, I would have believed. Of course, he rose. Remember that one time he said, "The Son of Man must suffer at the hands of the chief priests, and then he was going to die and rise again three days later." Or when he said, "Tear down this temple, and I'll build it back up in three days." Remember this. Of course he was going to rise again. But we all deal with doubt. Not not just in our relationships with others. Not just in our relationship even with ourselves. But in our relationship with our God. Perhaps Thomas Thomas doubted because it seemed too good to be true. Sure, he wanted to believe his Lord had risen from the dead. But how? Perhaps his doubt was wrapped up with disappointment. Disappointment. If Jesus couldn't accomplish some great and mighty deed to overthrow Rome, then how could he possibly do anything against death itself? He loved Jesus. He he had followed Jesus. But how could this be possible? Maybe the others just imagined it. Maybe the others were messing with him. And so he waited. He had to wait. He had to wait for over a week And I'm sure over that time, the disciples spent time together throughout that week. And I can't imagine they only talked about the resurrection that one time. I can't imagine that throughout that week, they brought up and talked about the resurrection with joy in their hearts again and again and again. And there Thomas was annoyed by the conversation. I'm reminded of of the psalmist who writes in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? There are times where, where God felt absent in my own life. And so we doubt, like the disciples did. Like Thomas did. How long, Lord, are you gonna forget me? How long are you gonna hide? God, I know you speak of forgiveness, but you you don't know what I've done. God, you tell me that i'm good, and you tell me that you're good, so why is there so much chaos and suffering and death god God i'm praying to you and I'm praying to you and I'm on my knees, but you're silent. Why won't you just answer my prayers God you're just like any other father you're you're angry and Vengeful. You just want to punish me for all the wrong I've done. I'm nothing special. I I I can't do anything important for God. You nobody notices me, so why would God? God hasn't provided me anything. Everything I have, I earn for myself, and and you just gotta work hard and, and take whatever you can get. He's not gonna provide. Why does God bless all these other people? And I'm faithful again and again, and I serve Him day in and day out, but He doesn't ever help me out. What doubt do you struggle with? In the midst of His doubt, Jesus came to Thomas. Seeing is believing and all that. But but with Thomas, it it wasn't just seeing is believing. It was touching is believing. Notice that that Thomas, what he desires of his Lord is not some some vision, not some apparition. What what he desires of his his Lord is to experience again the corporal reality of Jesus' bodiliness. And I love the escalation of his request. First, he says, I want to see where the nails went in. I want to see those marks. Okay, that sounds reasonable enough. And then he goes a little bit farther. He says, I want to, I want to touch the marks. Okay, a, a little bit more. Kind of like the boys that are on the playground and, and the one guy just got this sweet new scar and all the guys are like, can I touch it? Can I poke it? Right? And then finally he goes, to, the, I want to stick my hand in his side. And I feel that's where the request gets a little bit weird. There's a, a painter named Caravaggio that um, depicts this so powerfully. Caravaggio depicts this, this painting uh, of Thomas encountering the Lord and, and bodily risen. And I love the reality of this painting. Uh, it's so earthly, it's so, it's so real, it's so physical, you can't, you can't dismiss it. Right? Look, at, look at Thomas's face, the awe and the wonder and the curiosity. Thomas. If this painting can, could move, I, I could imagine uh, Thomas putting his, his hand into the side of Jesus, this surreal moment, and then, and then looking back up at Jesus. Like, like really? And Jesus is looking at him, and he's just, he's just smiling and nods at Thomas, yeah, it's me. Who then goes back, Thomas goes back to staring at that wound, and his, his hand in there, and he goes, he's like looking at it back and forth, and back and forth, like, Just in awe that this is his Lord. That this is the wound by which Thomas is healed. See, it wasn't enough that Jesus rose from the dead as some spiritual being. He rose completely, fully human and and fully divine in this moment, complete body and soul. Yet a body unlike any other. He appears and disappears with the suddenness of a ghost. He spooks the disciples and others more than once. In fact, you expect it to be a ghost, but then Thomas is sticking his fingers and his, his hands into Jesus' very real flesh, and, and Jesus is sitting down with them, and he's, he's eating fish with them, and bread with them, and he's drinking with them. I love how the disciples are afraid until Jesus munches on like a big piece of cod. And then they're like, oh, okay, that's, that's fine. Right? It's good now. It's Jesus. Never mind the fact that he simply appeared behind this wall and locked door like it was nothing. We confess in our creed that we likewise will be resurrected. We look forward to the resurrection of the body. Paul writes in in the third chapter of Philippians that God will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. It's not the salvation of your soul or your body that we believe in. To be human is to be body and soul. And salvation is the resurrection and the reunification of body and soul, which you have from God our Father in heaven. The physicality of the resurrection matters. Our bodies matter. After the fall, God God didn't say, those fools, what a mistake I made. Or God doesn't say, I I made a mistake giving them, them a body. I need to free them from that. No. From the very beginning, God said that it was good. What he created is good. And so he came to redeem and restore you. Body and soul. Your body isn't the rough first draft that he's done with and throws into the fire pit. The totality of you is a beautiful work of art by the hand of God. Unique, unrepeatable gift that you are to the world. And I know you doubt it. We all doubt it at times. You doubt that you're wonderful. You doubt that you're unique. You doubt your value and your worth. But you are. Because God made you to be that way. And he sees you. And he sees in you more beautiful and beauty than we are capable of seeing within ourselves. Even the most proud man doesn't value himself as much as God does. And he comes into our lives to purge the sin and the doubt and leave what is beautiful and good and true. In the midst of our doubt, God comes to us. But don't forget that Thomas had to wait. And likewise, sometimes we do too. In that epistle reading, I think Peter captures this so well. He says, In this you rejoice, although now for a little while, though you may may suffer through various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, that is even perishable, even though tested by fire, may prove to be for praise, glory, and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Some of us right now are really suffering. In fact, I would, I would argue we're all suffering and experiencing suffering in various degrees right now. But what I have marveled at in the midst of it is that it hasn't dimmed our faith, but it has brought, brought it out alive. There's been a resurrection of faith, if we may. And that genuineness of faith shines not when everything is, is comfortable and, and easy, but when we have no other choice. But to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus, just like Thomas did, and look up and marvel and say, wow, it really is you, God. You're here right now, even in the midst of all of this. Peter continues, though you don't see him, you love him. Though you don't see him right now, you believe. Right? Though we don't see him, we, we trust All of this, all of this was was written so that that we would believe. Think about that that for a second. All of this was written so that that we may believe that this is the Christ. What other spectacular things he must have done. But this was written so that you can believe, even in the face of doubt. And And I'm reminded then of the story when Jesus encounters this man and he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And likewise, I think we can say today in our own hearts, Lord, I trust. Help my doubt. And he hears that prayer. And he comes to us, his children. And he offers us his peace. Peace be with you, he says. Peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.